Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're ready for the last two verses of the entire book, verses 23 and 24. It's something that's a little bit exciting, but for me, something that's also just a little bit sad, because we started the book of Ephesians all the way back in August. Of course, we had a pretty good gap of time with the tornado where we weren't able to study from Ephesians together, but now we're getting ready to close out this book, to close out our study of the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 23 through 24. Just last week, March Madness, the NCAA basketball tournament started. If you filled out a bracket, chances are it's probably not doing too well. I think there might be only one person who's happy in here with the results of March Madness. There might be more than one, but Brenda Wilson, I think, is, is still cheering on Arkansas. They're still dancing in March Madness. I think I heard her calling pigs the other day. I, I, I don't know uh, with the Razorbacks, but um, it's been a rough weekend for basketball, even though March Madness has gone into full swing for all of us in here. But when you think about the March Madness tournament, when you think about the NCAA basketball tournament, what it all leads to is the Final Four. And that's where we're going to be in just a few weeks on April 2nd in New Orleans. The men's Final Four is going to take place. All of the conversations, all of the analyzation, all of the cheering, all of the traveling, all of the money, all of the brackets are leading us to this weekend. The Final Four weekend where the Final Four teams in the basketball tournament are going to play against one another. As we close out Ephesians chapter 6, verses 23 through 24, I believe that we find a final four of our own. Maybe we could call this the final four of the book of Ephesians, because as we get ready to close out this book, when we look at the last couple verses in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul presents four ideas to us that he wants to be characteristic of our lives. When you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, you go back to Ephesians chapter 3, you find Paul writing out his prayers for the church at Ephesus. You find him doing that again here in Ephesians 6 verses 23 and 24 where Paul offers his prayer in verse 23 to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is praying on behalf of the Ephesians and he prays for four characteristics, for four ideas to define their lives. And I believe these are four characteristics, four ideas that should define our lives. As we've worked the way, our way throughout the entirety of this letter, as we've gone from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, and now we're down to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 24, as we get ready to walk away from the book of Ephesians, these are four ideas that we need to think about. These are four ideas that we need to consider, four ideas that we need to live out on a daily basis. The final four of the book of Ephesians. The first one that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 23 is peace. He says, peace be to the brothers. Along with the other three ideas that we're going to talk about in these couple of verses, peace is one of the defining characteristics of the book of Ephesians. Paul talks about peace so many different times. For instance, when you look at the last part of Ephesians 2, 
Paul is talking about salvation and salvation that God has offered specifically to the Jews. When God offered salvation to the Jews, what He did is He brought two groups who were very different from one another. In fact, two groups who couldn't be more different from one another and brought them together into the same body. The Jews and the Gentiles. And in that, God created peace. We see in Ephesians 2 and verse 14 that peace is who Jesus is. The Bible says, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both, both Jew and Gentile, one. He's broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. But then you read the very next verse, peace is not just who Jesus is, peace is what Jesus does. Ephesians 2 and verse 15, He abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of the two doing what? So making peace. Peace is who Jesus is. Peace is what Jesus does. In Ephesians 2 and verse 17, two verses later, peace is the message that Jesus proclaims. The Bible says that Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and He preached peace to you who were near. Whenever we look at Jesus, what do we see in Ephesians 2? We see peace. Jesus is peace. He makes peace. And He proclaims peace. When you move to the more practical section of the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 3, Paul says that under the umbrella of chapter 4 and verse 1, as we strive to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called, he says we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity that we share with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is supposed to be tied together by peace. God wants us to do all that we can to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, tying it all together with peace. As Christians, we are to live in peaceful relationships with one another. Our unity is to be defined not by bickering, not by conflict, not by fighting or backbiting, but by peace. When you go to Ephesians 6 and verse 15, you see a bigger idea though. Where we're, when we're talking about the armor of God, Paul says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It's not just unity that's defined by peace, but it's the gospel itself. The good news of Jesus is defined by peace. What is the gospel? It's the message that we can be at peace with God. You go to Romans chapter 5 and you find Paul demonstrating this very powerfully where he says, since we've been justified by faith in verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You keep reading in Romans chapter 5 and Paul talks about how at one time we were enemies of God. We were at enmity with the Father. But Jesus has created peace by His death, burial, and resurrection. In the Gospel, we're able to have peace with God and we're also able to have peace with one another. Peace exists between man and God and peace exists between man and man. So when we look at the book of Ephesians, we're looking at the final four in Ephesians 6, 23-24. What do we learn about peace from the book of Ephesians? We learn that peace is what Jesus is all about. It's who He is. It's what He does. It's the message that He proclaims. In the unity that we share with one another, it's to be defined by peace. The Gospel message itself, the good news of Jesus, is all about peace. We can be at peace with God. We can be at peace with one another even though we're very different from one another. The Gospel brings us together. Paul prays for peace to define the lives of the Christians in Ephesus. 
And I think that peace should continue to define our lives today. I believe this is Sally in this cartoon, but if anybody wants to to correct me on that, feel free. Uh, Sally comes and she's complaining about everything in one Peanuts cartoon. She's saying, I hate everything. I hate the whole world. And she was just going on about how much she hated everything. Charlie Brown responded to her by saying, I thought you had inner peace. Why do you hate everything? She said, well, I do, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. Well, we all have that, don't we? As we live our lives on a daily basis, as we live our lives on a weekly basis, we have outer obnoxiousnesses, I guess that's how you say the plural, that that we have to deal with. The question is, how should we respond to them? How should we respond to the outer obnoxiousness that we have to deal with on a daily or a weekly basis? And the book of Ephesians tells us that we are to live lives that are defined by peace. Peace should be a defining characteristic in your life and it should be a defining characteristic in my life. I'm living at peace with God and I'm living at peace with other people. Number two, Paul mentions the idea of love. Just like he wants peace to be with the brothers in verse 23, he prays for love to be with the brothers in Ephesians 6.23. Love is a major theme of the book of Ephesians. What do we learn from Ephesians about love? I think the first thing that we see is how much God loves us. When you go to Ephesians chapter 1, all the way back at the beginning, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, in love God predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. God has predestined, God has chosen beforehand that He's going to have a group of people who belong to Him. Now, God doesn't predestine individuals. We're not talking about predestination in that sense where this side of the room is going to go to heaven and there's nothing you can do about it and this side of the room is not going to go to heaven and there's nothing you can do about it. No, God has predestined the fact that I'm going to have a group of people that I'm going to adopt in as my children. The question that we're concerned with in Ephesians 1 is why did God do that? Did He have to? Was He obligated to make that decision? Paul tells us in verse number 4 that he made that decision in love. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. How are we able to be children of God? Well, it's because he loves us. And he loves us so intensely. And talking about the salvation that Jesus has extended to us, that God has extended to us through Jesus, in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. At one time, we were all there. At one time, we were dead spiritually. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in the terrible, horrible decisions that we made. We brought it on ourselves. But yet, God has made us alive together with Jesus. How did that happen? Well, God being rich in mercy, why did He do it? Because of the great love with which He loved us. We're able to be made alive in Christ even though at one point we were dead in our trespasses and sins because of the great love that our Father has for us. Because God loves us so much, we should love other people. Because God loves us so much, that should be one of the defining characteristics of our lives. Our lives in every sense should be defined by love. Paul says in Ephesians 3 and verse 17 that we should be rooted and grounded in love. 
He says in Ephesians 3 and verse 19 that we should know the love of Christ even though it surpasses knowledge. We can't fully understand the love of Jesus, but we should do all that we can to come to know the love that Jesus has for us so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 4 and verse 2 says that we are to bear with one another in love. Ephesians 4 and verse 15 says that we are to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 5 and verse 2 says that we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. Ephesians 6 and verse 24, which John read for us just a moment ago, says that we are to love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love that doesn't have a time limit on it. We are to love Jesus with a love that is incorruptible. A love that is eternal. When we study the book of Ephesians, what do we learn about love? We learn that God loves us so much. God loves us so much that He's granted His salvation to us. He's taken us from death to life. He's adopted us as sons and daughters into His family. And because God loves us so much, we should love others. Because God loves us so much, in every sense of the word, love should define our lives. It should define what we do. It should define how we talk. It should be where we're rooted and grounded. It should define our relationships with one another. Paul prays for love to be a defining characteristic in the life of the Ephesians. And I think it should continue to be a defining characteristic in our lives today. You remember what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 22? He's asked by a lawyer, a Pharisee scribe, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And what's he, what did he say? He gave him a two for one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. What does John say about this? John says in his first epistle that we love. Why? Because he first loved us. Because God loves us so deeply, we are to love Him with everything that we have. With all of our heart, soul, mind, Luke adds the word strength. Because God loves us, we love each and every person that we meet just like we love ourselves. It is to be a defining characteristic in our lives. Something that we are to walk away from the book of Ephesians with. Number three, Paul prays for the Ephesians. He prays for their lives to be defined by faith. He says in Ephesians 6 and 23, just like peace is to be to the brothers, just like love is to be with the brothers, he wants them to be filled with faith. He wants them to be filled with a trust, with a belief, with a faith in God that brings them to the point of obedience that I trust in God so much, I'm willing to do whatever He has told me to do. Faith, just beside peace and love, is one of the main themes of the book of Ephesians. What do we learn about faith from Ephesians? You look back on what we've studied, what do we see? Well, we go to Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. Two very powerful and also very well-known verses Paul says, by grace you've been saved through faith. He says, by grace you've been saved through the faith that you've placed in Jesus. And it's not about you. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 3 and verse 12 tells us that we have boldness. We have access with confidence. How? Through our faith in Him. We're able to stand before God not with timidity, 
but with confidence and boldness because of the faith and trust that we place in Him. Ephesians 3, just a few verses later, verses 16-17, through 17, says that we are to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? Through faith. And then we go to Ephesians 6, back to the armor of God, verse number 16. He says in all circumstances, in everything we go through, we are to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What do we learn from the book of Ephesians about faith? We learn that faith is how God interacts with us in our lives. We learn that faith is the avenue through which God works with us as human beings. Faith is the avenue through which we're able to have boldness and confidence before Him. Faith is the avenue through which we are able to have access to His grace. By grace you've been saved through faith. Faith is the avenue by which we're able to stand against Satan. When he's shooting his flaming darts against us, we take up the shield of faith, and that's what helps us to be successful. In the final four, Paul prays, for the Ephesians and for their lives to be defined by faith, our lives should be defined by faith. The African impala is a really interesting animal. It can jump really high. Did you know that the impala, from just standing straight, can jump 10 feet up in the air? That's pretty high. That's as high as a basketball goal. And if it's running and it jumps, it can glide 30 feet before it hits the ground again. I wish I could jump like that. I, whenever I jump, I get maybe like two or three inches off the ground. But did you know that if you take an Impala and put him in a zoo, you can keep him in, a, in an exhibit with just a three-foot wall? You know why? Because the Impala is not going to jump if he can't see where his feet is going to land. He, he, he can jump ten feet. He has the capability to do it. But he's not going to jump on anything if he can't look and see where he's going to land first. You know, sometimes we take leaps in life, don't we? Sometimes we jump and we're not exactly sure where our feet are going to land. That's where faith comes in. I trust in God. I believe His Word. I believe the promises He's made to me. I've placed my faith in Jesus And because of that, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? We walk by faith and not by sight. Even when we can't see where our feet are going to land, we have the opportunity to jump when we place our faith in Jesus. It's the avenue through which He interacts with us. The avenue through which He blesses our lives and pours out abundant blessings to us as His people. And then finally, number 4, in verse 24, Paul prays for the Ephesians' lives to be defined by grace. He says in the last verse of the epistle, Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. What do we learn about the book of Ephesians? From the book of Ephesians about grace? When we study this letter, when we study these six chapters, we find that the idea of grace is used in two different ways. First, Paul uses the word grace to refer to the salvation that we have received. Like what we said a moment ago, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. If you go back again, all the way to the beginning, to Ephesians 1 and verse 6, we're talking about the praise of His glorious grace. Well, what has God done with this grace? With which He has blessed us in the Beloved. God has given to us what we do not deserve. 
God has in fact given to us the very opposite of what we deserve. We deserve God's wrath, but instead He's given to us His favor. God has this glorious grace and He's blessed us with it. He's blessed those who are in Christ with His amazing grace. We sang about it this morning. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. The very next verse. In Him, notice the key words, we have redemption. How do we have redemption? Through the blood of Christ. What does it mean to have redemption? My, my sins, my trespasses are forgiven. How does it all take place? According to the riches of His grace. God has given to us what we don't deserve. And because of that, we're able to be forgiven. We're able to be redeemed through the blood of Jesus because of the riches of God's grace. And then Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you have been saved. We don't earn our salvation. Our salvation is something that is given to us as a gift. It's something that is not of our own doing. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Our salvation has been given to us as something that we have not earned and something that we do not deserve. So first, the idea of God's grace throughout Ephesians is used to talk about salvation. But it's also used in another way, not just salvation, but also mission. Paul uses the term grace to talk about the jobs, the roles, the responsibilities, and the abilities that we have in Christ. First, he talks about that in his own life. In Ephesians 3 and verse 2, he says, Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. God had entrusted His grace to Paul. God Paul had become a steward of God's grace. Well, what did that mean? That just means he's going to heaven, right? That just means his sins are forgiven. Well, no, we're not talking about salvation in Ephesians 3. We're talking about Paul's mission. He says, this stewardship of God's grace has been given to me on your account so that I can serve you, so that I can preach the Gospel to you. In Ephesians 3 and verse 7, just a few verses later, he says, of this Gospel I was made a minister, literally a servant, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. Paul became a minister. Paul became a servant of the good news of Jesus. What placed him in that position? The gift of God's grace. Grace is not just what saved Paul's soul. Grace is what gave Paul mission. Was that something that was just true in his life? Well, no. When you continue reading Ephesians to chapter 4 and verse number 7, you find this statement that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In a context that talks about the gifts that God has given to us, the abilities that God has given to us in the church, notice that nobody is left out. That grace roles, responsibilities, functions has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What do we learn about grace from the book of Ephesians? We learn that the idea of grace, God giving to us what we don't deserve, has two different sides to it. First, we talk about God's salvation. God has saved us by His grace. He has forgiven us by His grace. He has redeemed us by His grace. But it's not just something that forgives. It's not just something that redeems. Grace is not just something I receive so I can go to heaven. Grace is something that I receive so I can make a difference in this world. 
God's given me and He's given you very specific responsibilities and abilities and gifts and talents in the church that we don't deserve, that we are to use to serve God, that we are to use to serve one another, and that we are to use to serve our community. Paul prays for grace to be a defining characteristic in the lives of the Ephesians. And I believe it's still to be a defining characteristic in our lives. There's a really interesting story about two preachers in London named Joseph Parker and Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century. Joseph Parker was talking about the orphanage that Charles Spurgeon had connected to his congregation. And Joseph Parker was talking about the poor condition of the kids who came into that orphanage. How it was pitiful. The circumstances they came from and the baggage that they carried, it was very difficult to see. It was something that was very hard to watch. Well, it's like a game of telephone. Have you ever played telephone before? By the time the message got to Charles Spurgeon, it had changed just a little bit. And it was told to Charles Spurgeon that Joseph Parker said that the orphanage itself was poor. And it was ran in a very poor way. So that offended him. He didn't go and check the source on it. Instead, Charles Spurgeon stepped into his pulpit and he slammed Joseph Parker. It was all over the news. It was all in the headlines. It was something that everybody had heard about. Well, fast forward one week. Everybody came to Joseph Parker's church that week to hear what his rebuttal was going to be. He stepped into the pulpit and he said, I understand that Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today. He's out visiting somewhere. And today's the day that he usually takes up a special offering for the orphanage. So I thought we could do that here today. I thought we could go ahead and take up a special love offering for Charles Spurgeon and his church. The people were so excited about it that the story goes, the ushers had to dump out the plates three different times because the people were giving so much. The very next day, Monday, there was a knock at Joseph Parker's door and it was Charles Spurgeon. He came in and he sat down. He said, I want you to know that you've really demonstrated to me what the grace of God looks like. I understand the, the misunderstanding now. I understand what you really said and what you meant. And I want you to know that you didn't give me what I deserve yesterday. You gave me what I needed. And that's what God has done for us, hasn't He? When we talk about His grace, He hasn't given us what we deserve. He's given us what we need. Salvation. Forgiveness, redemption, meaning, purpose, jobs, responsibilities. And that's something that should define our lives every single day that we live. The final four. More than likely, none of our teams are going to be there unless, you know, if Arkansas continues to play, maybe they'll be. The balls aren't going to be there. When we look at Ephesians, I think we find a final four of our own. Maybe something we can be a little bit happier about. Maybe something that we can go out tomorrow and, and not be sad about it, but we can live with joy and enthusiasm for the gospel. When the final four comes on April 2nd, there are going to be four teams that have went through a very extensive tournament who are playing against one another. This final four is not that way. This final four doesn't play against one another. Instead, they work alongside of one another. That when we walk away from the book of Ephesians, we walk away with these four ideas and they help us to be who God wants us to be. They help us to make a difference in this world. They help us to make a difference in where we're planted. When we go to work, when we go to school, even within our own households, as we've walked through the book of Ephesians together and we walk away with these four ideas, 
It's something that prepares us and equips us to be the people who Jesus has called us to be. To live lives that are defined by peace, love, faith, and grace. The final four. Is there something on that list that you're struggling with? Is there something in your life that you're struggling with? Maybe you'd like to take that first step in faith tonight and to access peace, love, faith, and grace in the truest way by being buried in baptism. We would love to help you in any way that we can as Seth comes forward and leads us in our invitation song.